She's the pushy broad from the Bronx, New York. Follow her voice, a straight dog is nice. She's the pushy broad from the Bronx, oh yeah. Don't be surprised if you want to listen twice. Make decisions, find the right choice. Know yourself better, find your own voice. It's okay if you need help today, because everybody needs a little push. From the pushy broad from the Bronx, New Welcome, Transformation Talk Network listeners. My name is Ellen Stewart, and I am the Pushy Broad from the Bronx. Welcome to my show, Recovery Recharged, where we share advice and assistance from experts in recovery. I am so glad to be here today because I am talking about a topic that every one of you can get behind. I have such an expert with me today because he really makes a difference in the recovery industry. The topic today is men's issues in addiction and recovery. And I've centered around men because there are distinct differences in how men view addiction and recovery from women. Last month, we we talked about women's issues, and this month, it's really important that we talk about men's issues. I also want you to know that we are very much aware that this is National Recovery Month, and we want to reach out to everybody out there and tell them that we are the program for help and wellness in recovery. So go to pushybroadfromthebronx.com, make an appointment with me. I will absolutely absolutely help you in this recovery month, especially. So are there sex and gender differences in, in substance use and rate of recovery? Believe it or not, guys, men are 2.2 times more likely than women to abuse drugs and 1.9 times more likely to develop a new drug dependence. So how do we look at these issues? How do we treat them? How do we help our loved one? How do we help our husbands, our brothers, our sons? I've brought an expert today that is going to give us some answers. He's been on our show before a couple of years ago, but I wanted to bring him back because he does specialize in this and he's a great resource for us today. I'd like to introduce Paul Lavella Jr., who is the founder and clinician of New Jersey Recovery and Wellness. He's a licensed professional counselor, a clinical alcohol and drug counselor, and he helps people heal from substance use and co-occurring disorders. And he's been doing that for the past 19 years. New Jersey Recovery and Wellness provides community counseling to individuals and families, partners with community organizations to reduce the stigma surrounding behavioral health, and consults with other organizations to improve treatment outcomes. So, Transformation Talk Radio listeners, Recovery Recharged, and the Pushy Broad from the Bronx is thrilled to introduce Paul Lavella Jr. Good morning, Paul. Good morning, Ellen. Thank you so much for having me back. I am thrilled to have you here today, and we're going to jump right in because there are so many questions that we want answered, okay? Let's talk a little bit about the kind of work that you do, and specifically one big question. Why? I know it's a broad one, but let's narrow it down a little bit. Why do men drink and and do gender issues, being male, play an issue in, in drinking and recovery? 
And so I, I want to thank you for for taking uh, time in this episode to really highlight uh, this issue. It's very important to me. It kind of centers around the the work that I do personally and you know generally speaking within the practice, New Jersey Recovery and Wellness. Uh, so uh, just a short clip, we are a, a co-occurring group practice. So individual therapists, some people work with couples, some people work with families. Um, but you know, people come to their therapy session and go home. We're community-based. Um, and uh, with some recent stats that we've run from the first part of this year, about 60% of our clients are men. Uh, and with a majority of our clinicians holding licenses, both in mental health, but also for substance use disorders, we do see a lot of men uh, who are uh, in recovery uh, or are trying to make some of those uh, pivotal changes in life to support recovery. Uh, and it's important to make sure that these clinicians are, are absolutely versed uh, in some of the rather nuanced differences in providing counseling services for men who are trying to make these significant life changes. Do you find that men seem to start using substances in general earlier than women? So that's that's not only something that I've noticed anecdotally within our own practice, uh, but also there's there's plenty of data that would support that. You know, generally speaking, men, uh, uh, younger uh, uh, boys, teenagers tend to have more ready access uh, to to alcohol and other substances than women do, and it's. Uh, it's also not uh, uh, frowned upon in some sense. So, so we can, I'm sure that we're we're going to end up you know, going there in conversation. About, well, let's go uh, there. Let's go there. Yeah. Hang on a second. Let's go there. It's not frowned upon. Mm -hmm. You're talking probably specific, uh, specifically about alcohol, because I'm sure the drug connotation is probably frowned upon. So let's explain that a little more, the not frowned upon situation. Oh, absolutely. But I I, I I will challenge and push against the, okay. the, the drug part, too, because especially now with the, the dynamic cultural shifts towards marijuana use. Right. And so like, OK, I, I consider alcohol to be a drug, but I know not everybody does. But marijuana kind of goes into that fold. Uh, but we do generally see this this cultural perception. And there's a whole lot that comes into to, to culture, gender being one of those variables. Right. And so we're focusing on that. Um, when taking a look at the uh, social acceptance of uh, alcohol use or other substance use for men versus uh, for, for, for women, for boys as opposed to for girls. Uh, I know even providing counseling services uh, to the, the teenagers that we're working with currently, there tends to be more of a, a, a social, stigma is a little bit too strong of a word, but almost like a connotation, a safety risk for girls that are using substances, whereas for boys, it's almost like an eye roll, a rite of passage, boys will be boys. Um, it, it's, it's almost thought of as a given. It's going to happen, right? And, and so this is what I'm talking about, one layer of accessibility that boys have that girls may not. Right. I understand. I understand the rite of passage thing. And of course, I see this in my male adolescent clients and their parents, right? I have a discussion with dad whose son is drinking a little bit and maybe experimenting with THC vape pens and all of that stuff. And dad will say, you know, it's no big deal. It's a phase. He's a boy. What do you expect from him? It's going to pass all of those things, right? That rite of passage. So, so maybe that's the case. 
right? So, so just explain to us the things that we see every single day, the people out there, what makes it more than a rite of passage? What makes this a problem? Well, there's, there's, that's a very, very loaded question, a very important question, Alan, but a very loaded one. Um, but so to, to kind of go back to that idea of uh, uh, culture and cultural messaging, um, I, I think it's important to, to start there to kind of uh, uh, give the, the, the lens with which to address the much larger question. Uh, so, you know, as, as we spoke on a moment ago, there's many, many different components to culture, right? There's, there's gender, race, uh, religion, socioeconomic status, the list can go on. But for, for focusing uh, here, we really want to take a look at the cultural messages uh, that we're giving to our young men and that, that our boys are, are receiving. And some of the most common ones, there, there is some shift that's been happening over the, the, the course of the past number of decades. But one of the most common ones is big boys don't cry, right? And so if, if we're going to, to, to look behind the curtain of that message, what's actually being communicated there, it's, it's not masculine, it's not in our maleness to express emotion. Uh, so we need to hold things in, right? Yes, yes. A, a, a and with that, yes. And with that, of course, expectations of strength and being a protector and showing no fear, all of those things um, are sometimes beginning to change over time, but there is a standard and there, uh, there are assigned specific gender roles that, that we still deal with on a regular basis. And that sometimes is the strong messaging that, that comes down. And because of that, boys have to hold stuff in, right? They just have to hold all of their emotions in. And sometimes the way to overcome that anxiety and that stress, of course, is to use a mood-altering substance, correct? No, that's that's definitely one of the pathways uh, that people can do that. You know, more specifically boys, but it's, it's not limited to, to, to boys, anyone uh, uh, can can self-medicate uh, through those means. It's not just about substance use. Uh, people can act out uh, in a variety of different ways, uh, whether that's with uh, with alcohol, drugs, uh, gambling. Uh, we all have cell phones that we can check out on, so on and so forth. And that's another line of, of work that our adolescent clinicians have been uh, uh, doing quite a bit of for, for people that have what they're referring to as like a tech dependence or tech addiction. Um, but then, you know, we, we also take a look at problematic uh, pornography for our teens. Um, yeah, that, and that's been something that's been around for, for a while. We're seeing it a lot more now with the advent of uh, the accessibility, so on and so forth. But so, yeah, generally speaking, there's lots of ways that our young boys can act out because uh, they're getting the, these messages. It's not okay to communicate or express emotions. We have to keep things in. And it's not just about keeping things in. We need to exude confidence, strength, control. And so sometimes for, for some people that can create almost like an imposter syndrome. Um, so if, if this is what I'm uh, uh, being taught or groomed into exuding, but I don't feel this way on the inside, am I a fake? Am I not worthy? Take a look at some of the internal messaging that our boys can be deriving from that. Uh, and so there's, you know, you know, there's mild damages, which can then grow into to, to something bigger. And if, if we're not cultivating an environment where our boys can sort this stuff out, there's lots of opportunity in the future for them to try to reconcile it in some not so great ways. 
And I've also seen evidence of more eating disorders among young adult males more than ever before. Compulsive overeating, eating uh, poorly, um, and even some anorexic and bulimic young males, which is not generally, hasn't generally been a male-oriented situation. But I think that you are correct in the fact that self-esteem plays a very big role and of course, lack of personal self-worth. And and they also do, boys also do measure themselves against other boys in competition, in sports, in in intelligence, in in everything, in physicality, which makes it much more difficult for them to be who they are, you know, open in the world, be who they are. That's so, right. yeah, I really agree with you. So let's talk a little bit about some of the impulsivities and the immature immaturities. If if somebody's a little bit more emotionally dysregulated, let's where do we go? How how young do you see it starting? And what can you advise parents? What are they looking for? Yeah, so uh, that's uh, again another another thoughtful question there. Um, when we're talking about uh, difficulties with regulating emotions or expressing emotions, I, I know from a therapeutic uh, lens, there's a specific uh, type of therapy that that focuses on four core components, and so two of those components are uh, distress tolerance and emotion regulation. So distress tolerance, when something isn't going my way or I'm in an uncomfortable situation, and then emotional regulation is you know. I can feel things and it's okay to feel things, but how do I modulate that? So not to the point where I'm exploding and acting out, but also uh, not on the other end of the spectrum where I'm completely restricting because emotional restriction for anyone uh, isn't healthy. And it tends to be a key component for our young boys, which is why they may be self-medicating on the, the, the side. They may be finding things to help them numb out. Uh, their emotions. So what parents can look for uh, here is emotional reactions to day-to-day -day events, right? And it doesn't have to be about school because I'm I'm I'm, I'm sure we can get a lot of uh, uh, shutdown responses to how was your day at school? Fine. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, give me give us another a couple of specific examples of of the of questioning and emotional responses. Yeah, so um, this is like a more local regional uh, news uh, uh, for, for us here in, in New Jersey. Um, uh, one state away in, in Pennsylvania, there was a, a, a recent a prison member uh, breakout and someone has been roaming around in like the, the backwoods of southeastern uh, Pennsylvania. Uh, topically, it's it's come up in, in uh, sessions as well as in personal life over the past uh, two weeks. And, you know, even just like, oh, wow, did you hear about this? What do you guys think about like even just checking in uh, to to cue in for emotional reactions, checking in on emotion words? Um, how does that? I, I I I sometimes frown at myself when I hear myself saying, "How does that make you feel?" It's it's a it's a therapist <laughs> trope, um, but really for for adolescent development, just in in general, we we want to hopefully you'll be building on our uh, uh, emotional intelligence, our emotional IQ, uh, and boys tend to be a little bit more stunted there. So just kind of keeping that door open for for checking in on responses, reactions. Uh, friendship situations. If there's an argument with friends, um, if they they stop hanging out with their crew for a couple of days, hey, what's going on? 
um, just making sure that that door is open can be vitally important for our young boys. Of course, especially not eating at all or eating too much or isolating in their room for a long time or being very preoccupied on video games or um, or being very preoccupied technologically more than usual, having them seem flustered, stammering, all of the indications that something is amiss. You may not be able to put your finger on it, but something is not the norm for your individual child, right? These are things to look for and the frequency of those events, correct? Correct. And what you're talking about is extremes in behaviors. Um, and, and so now the 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 piece, and I you know thank you for for tagging it on there as as well, is every child is going to be different. every every child is is going to have their own personality disposition. But when you're seeing an extreme in behavior that is different uh, for your child, um, uh, that's that's going to be a, a pretty prime indicator that there's an opening here to have a conversation, which they might be close to, but just making sure that they're aware that the door is open to it. Correct. All right. And then, of course, we're not only talking about adolescents, we're talking about young adults and we're talking about um males in general. Right. So so when you are dealing with young adult males that are um, in the throes of maybe substance misuse and, and looking to get clean and sober, talk a little bit about the kind of work that you do with them and, and what you, what you're seeing here in terms of what a young adult male seems to be going through college age, school problems, those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. So true to form uh, for for some of the concerns that we were talking about before and knowing in, in the back of our heads that there's there's been a lot of front loaded messaging of it's not OK or not safe to, to communicate emotion. If I try to talk about it head on, um, that can very easily be rebuffed. So when when working with with young men, you know, being able to approach with that knowledge and with that sensitivity uh, that Talking about something directly with some folks, you might be able to get some uh, uh, some traction on it uh, for for many more, possibly not. So the idea of being able to have an activity base, something that you're doing with the individual um, uh, can help to open up some doors to processing through uh, other things that are going on in their lives. I know sometimes with parents, whether it's teens or young adults, uh, I, I frequently hear that car rides uh, can be the best places for conversations because we're not looking at each other. We're looking ahead or perhaps the, the person might be the person that's not driving might be on their their, their device. It's less threatening. And a person may be a little bit more open uh, to just free flowing with what's going on in their head. Uh, and then you'll also find that a lot of uh, treatment programs that specialize in treating substance use disorders for specifically young adult men, uh, they engage in a lot of adventure therapies. So adventure therapies is engaging the, the, the clients in activities to work through uh, situations that are going to be evoking emotions uh, where, where they can then process during or after the activity. 
That's very interesting, especially what you said about car rides for that specific reason. I also find that teenagers and young adults in general have a very difficult time looking you straight in the face. And it doesn't necessarily mean that they're lying to you either. People, you know, parents say, look me straight in the face or else you're lying to me. That that one has nothing to do with the other. But the fact that a, a child can be more comfortable when they're not put in the spotlight, so to speak, is a very good way for them to open up. I know that my college age um, clients are engaged sometimes in family group activities. So you may not be able to get them one-on-one, but maybe mom, dad, and siblings can go out and play golf together, or you can play, you know, you can go to the batting range together, or, you know, you can engage in some other activity, athletic activity that guys might like or not. Or maybe if a guy isn't athletically inclined, there's a creative activity there's an arts and crafts situation or something that they can build or do or engineer that you may do together, even if it's sitting at a table and putting a puzzle together. Some other kind of distraction so that they would open up more and not be so concentrated on sometimes the words coming out of their mouth. Right, Paul? That's that's right. The 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 anecdote that was was coming up for me is is more centered around the difference between being the focus of an interaction versus being a part of an interaction. So when we're doing things together, I'm a part of something. We're communing. I'm part of a community. Uh, we're all humans. We're social creatures. Somewhere instinctually in all of us, we're seeking out community. Uh, and so that that is is really connecting uh, with that part uh, of our uh, of our young men. Um, however, because for strength, uh, for uh, the 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 messaging of uh, not being emotional, being the focus uh, of of something. Uh, are people paying attention to me? Is there something wrong? Am I weak? Those those more face-to-face, more direct, that can be challenging for, for some folks. So being able to get outside of that box is, is super important. And it's something for parents to realize. And sometimes um, it's a question for parents. Sometimes it's a question of who can get through the most rapport. The other thing that I have seen happen, and maybe you have seen it too, parents come to me all the time and they say to me, I want to sit down and have a big conversation with my son. I want to know what's going on with him. I want to I want to teach him something. I want him to understand what he should be doing and what he shouldn't be doing. I always advise parents, and tell me if I'm going in the right way, um, but I always advise parents that, that there never should be one large conversation because attention spans are so small. Number one, you can only have them for five minutes at a time. And sometimes two or three words or two or three sentences are, are better placed than one large lecture or teaching opportunity. Do you think so, Paul? Absolutely. Uh, you're, you're bringing back memories from my, my younger years as a, a, a clinician cutting teeth, running an adolescent uh, intensive outpatient treatment program. Uh, my, my former supervisor and mentor at the time uh, used to always share the, the perspective and uh, uh, often call it out uh, uh, during uh, uh, parent groups. Uh, parents, if you're talking for more than two minutes, it's a lecture and your kids have tuned out. He would always make it a point of after the 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 long lecture to check in with the the teen and be like, "Can you just paraphrase? What did your parents say?" 
nine out of 10, they wouldn't be able to effectively paraphrase uh, uh, what had gone on. And so it was a learning, hopefully a learning opportunity for the parents that the desire to have the effectiveness of, of one big, large intervention, uh, it's it's actually false. The effectiveness isn't uh, uh, isn't translating over to the team. Um, so that's you, you got you brought up some really really great memories, <laughs> uh, and I'm I'm thinking of a, a a family that I've I've recently worked with uh, as well. Uh, the the young adult male um, uh, doesn't necessarily have a substance use disorder, uh, however, is uh, acting out within another behavior group, uh, which is causing lots of problems. Um, but same deal, the focus on having a a, a family session uh, and the process that unfolds there. Uh, uh, mom and dad take their turns with uh, with talking and the 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 young man visibly uh, uh, appears disengaged um, off to the side, literally like turned facing the other direction, not maintaining eye contact. Uh, and then when you you go to check in, not that you know, nothing there. So little right. is registering, except right. I did something wrong. I'll do better next time. Whatever you guys want. It's like, it's a script. How many times has, uh, have you said those words? If we want to be effective, it's not, it's not one conversation. We want to keep the door open to, to have ongoing communication. I understand completely. And, and I say this to parents and here's a big thing, parents out there. If you're going to make this a lecture moment or a teaching moment, don't do it. Do not do it. If you think you're going to impart some profound words of wisdom, it's not happening. Okay. Don't do it. Your kids are getting nothing out of it. Just walk by occasionally, tell them you love them, tell them you'll support them, tell them that they should make healthy choices, little sentences, little proud sentences. I'm proud of you. I love you. You can come to me for anything, little phrases and walk away. They will hold on to that more than the 15 or 20 minute. We want to have a family session about how you're going to improve the next year of your life, especially since this is the beginning of the term, right? So parents want to sit down and say, let's plan for the term, right, Paul? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, and uh, there's there's also something to to consider there when it comes to um, relational equity. Um, uh, I'm, I'm trying to recall exactly where where I got this analogy from. Uh, however, it was rather poignant. It kind of like hit the nail on the head for me. Uh, the idea of if if we want to to maintain open engagement with anyone in our life, but I've I've specifically known this to be true for the 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 young men uh, that we work with. You need to really consider the ratio of your critical feedback to your praise, to your solution focus, to your your looking and moving forward, right? And so it's like, all right, so you've you've got uh, two piggy banks, two bank accounts. How often are you depositing into the, the the criticism bank account and how often are you depositing into the praise bank account? That's a perfect, perfect analogy. I am really thrilled with that. I need you to keep that in mind out there. How often are you depositing into the complimentary bank account? Terrific. When we come back, we're going to talk more about men's issue in recovery with my expert, Paula Vella Jr. We'll be right back. From the pushy broad from the Bronx, New York. A book that actually has healing power. Introducing you to Maximize Your Healing Power by Dr. Sharon Martin, available now for pre-order. This book takes you on an empowering journey 
that teaches you how to have control over your own health. Bridging the divide between Western medicine and shamanic practices of energy healing. Pre-order today and get a free bundle of gifts from Dr. Sharon Martin and several of her partners. For more information, visit drsharonmartin.com. Hi, everyone. Dr. Pat here, host of The Dr. Pat Show. For about 20 years, you've heard me talk about silver and the importance of silver. I've been looking upside down and sideways to find silver that was the highest quality, and I think I've found it. No, actually, I know I found it. I discovered this in my own healing journey, and that's what we used for me. Emio Life has the most advanced silver available today. All things that harm our health is what it takes care of. Now, I thought I'd seen it all because I've been on this journey for 20 years with silver, but I've not quite found anything like Amio Life. The folks and our friends at Amio Life have put together a special discount for your first purchase of 20% off. Amiolife.com. A-M-E-O life.com. Remember to give them a call. Tell them Dr. Pat sent you at 1-800-422-8148. I've already sent it to my naturopath. At the Centerpiece Foundation, Dr. Ellie Zarabian can help you make the most of your time here on Earth. As a third-generation healer with a doctorate degree in psychology, Dr. Ellie helps you resolve conflict that begins within the self and extends out into the world. No matter your spiritual background and cultural heritage, you can learn to heal past traumas and listen to your inner voice. Are you ready to feel empowered to live more peacefully during our time of social unrest? For more information, visit centeronpeace.com. What makes a coach irresistible, extraordinary, and successful? The Coaching Academy has graduated hundreds of students who have built the most fulfilling coaching businesses. That's because the Spiritual Life Coaching Certification, based on the proven formula, Rewire Your Brain for Success, is an innovative program designed to equip you with the knowledge and skills to support you in your journey of becoming an elite league coach. Inquire today by visiting coachingacademy.net. From the push it broad from the Bronx, New Welcome back, Transformation Talk Radio listeners. I'm Ellen Stewart. I'm the pushy broad from the Bronx. Welcome to my show, Recovery Recharged, with my expert clinician, Paul Avella Jr., and we are talking about men's issues in recovery. You can find me at pushybroadfromthebronx.com. Please go there. I will do the first 20-minute session with you for free. I will give you all kinds of help and assistance around recovery. Paul Lavella Jr., please tell us where we can reach you for help and assistance. Thank you again, Ellen. So, uh, yeah, uh, my my name is is uh, Paul Lavella. Uh, our practice is New Jersey Recovery and Wellness. Uh, so, generally speaking, people can uh, can access with uh, with questions or seek resources just by giving a call eight five five two zero two seven nine three nine, or by going to our website at njraw.com that's nj like new jersey and the word raw r-a-w as in recovery and wellness.com njraw.com thank you so much all right so let's get into some more of the heart of it absolutely you're an adult male you're living at home and you may be drinking too much how do you know and what do you do about it? Paul, what do you so, think? 
I have questions to your questions. However, um, I'm, I'm already envisioning some some individuals that I've I've worked with over the years. Um, and the the first question to the question that's that's coming up is is how is it that they are coming to the awareness that there's something going on, right? So sometimes a, a, a person has you know, developed some level of insight and they're able to identify that something's not working right. Uh, whether they're noticing that there's uh, uh, more arguments with their significant other. Um, if they're distancing from from friends, uh, if they're noticing uh, that you know at the end of the month they have uh, less money going into to savings or no money going into savings, where's my money going? So are they aware of it themselves, or are they getting feedback from other people in their lives, or possibly being compelled uh, by a loved one to 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 consider making this this lifestyle change? Um, so, but you're absolutely right. So what's, what happens, what I have seen, and you tell me if this is the case, when you have a male that comes into your office and substance misuse is a big thing, is, is the thing, do they come in and say, I have a problem? Or do they come in and say, my wife sent me? How does that work? You tell me. So I, I see both, uh, actually. Uh, it tends to be for individuals uh, that are coming in and recognizing on some level that are recognizing you know, uh, some degree of, of misuse uh, of, uh, of alcohol. Um, they likely have had several different treatment experiences before, whether that's going to formal treatment programs uh, or perhaps they've been in individual or couples counseling at some point in the past. Uh, for for individuals that are coming in uh, that might not be sure, um, it tends to be that they are coming in being compelled uh, by someone in their their life. And so, if a person's not a teenager and not a young adult, usually the person that's compelling them is a significant other. Uh, whether it's uh, this is you get you got to uh, choose stop drinking or get out of the house, or you'll premarital. Um, I don't know if this is the right move until we work out what's happening uh, with the alcohol or other substance use. I understand. Okay. So for those of you out there that think that your male partner is having a substance abuse issue, Paul, what should they do? Talk about it. Absolutely talk about it. So there is uh, an expression uh, that uh, uh, addiction, and you know, we're going to consider alcoholism or alcohol used to to, to be in, encompassed uh, in here. But addiction thrives in darkness. Um, it doesn't stand a chance when you shine light on it. So the more that we don't talk about it, the more that we we keep a secret. Uh, the the longer the individual that has the substance use disorder is going to stay in that set of behaviors. So absolutely talking about it is going to be important. Connecting with professionals such as yourself uh, to, to, to be able to, to find ways to coach through um, how to seek help for the loved one is also vitally important. Uh, there's peer support groups uh, for, for family members or loved ones uh, that have concerns for another's uh, substance use. Uh, there's a variety uh, of those. I don't endorse any specific one, but there are multiple different types of uh, uh, supports, uh, as well as some people seek out uh, counseling services as well. And of course, there are all kinds of ways to talk about it. Yelling and screaming at someone is normally not the recommended way to say you need help. Right, Paul? 
Correct. So a little bit earlier, we were talking about young adults. So with the distress tolerance and emotion regulation, these are skills that we all hopefully learn and that we're able to use in day to day life. And so if if, if you have a, a partner or a significant other um, who is using substances in a way that's creating uh, stress in their life, in your life, sometimes we ourselves can get challenged with our own distress tolerance and then we struggle to 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 not be reactive to our own emotions and so that's where these emotional explosions come in again with the thought or the desire that if they see how agitated i am if they see how upset i'm getting then they'll get it and they'll change again that's the thought of a, a, a of a, a person that's uh that's that's really desperately wanting their their loved one to to get it um however unfortunately uh as so uh, we we tend to see quite frequently it's really not effective exactly it's like when you're screaming and yelling at your kids right i used to do a lot of teaching i taught middle school i taught high school if I was agitated by what was going on in the classroom and I happened to raise my voice, I realized that that did absolutely nothing, absolutely yeah. nothing. And the whole idea, I mean, what they teach in crisis de-escalation is if your loved one is at a 10, you need to be at a one, you need to calm down, you need to speak in a lower voice, you need to have a more effective tone that is more even keel and calming so that somebody will respond to you. So that is absolutely the way to go. So I have also found that men seem to be in terrible denial when it comes to their substance abuse about how much they're doing, how often they're doing it, and how dangerous it is. Do you find that's a big problem with men? So there's there's layers uh, to that. So I find that to to be a problem universally for for individuals that have substance use disorders or any type of compulsive behavior, if it's gambling, whatever else. Um, so I see that across the board. The layer where uh, the 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 gendered consideration comes in uh, can really take the shape of understanding that backdrop for for shame of not being in control, shame for not being strong, for being weak. If I don't want my alcohol use to be a problem, but somewhere in there I'm recognizing, oh, you know what? I didn't want to use, I didn't want to drink more than a six pack this weekend. And yeah, that didn't happen. So if I acknowledge that, then does that make me weak because I wasn't in control, right? So denial is absolutely a part of the addictive process, hands down. It doesn't matter who it is. We take a look at the layers of what mess, what does that mean when it comes to masculinity of not being in control of my drinking? That's really important for men. Exactly. And then just to take a little bit further, the whole idea of men being challenged to ask for help you know that old adage men won't ask you know won't ask for directions they just go around in circles forever that goes hand in hand with the masculinity issue and and i am too proud or too strong to ask for help correct if i can't fix it myself i'm weak and therefore somebody else is stronger if i'm asking somebody else for help that other person is stronger than me so I might not actively be thinking about that process, but the messaging has been ingrained typically from childhood. 
So if you're in a situation where you have a male companion who you believe is really abusing something, something is compulsive and we can, they can be, it can be a substance use addiction. It could be a process addiction like food or video gaming or sex, pornography, all of those things. If something is being done to excess and you're watching this happen and you have tried to talk to this person repeatedly, does leverage work in the process of getting a man to treatment? So there's uh, there's a lot of different views um, on this. Uh, so on on one end, uh, there is the 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 thought, the belief set uh, that uh, a person, quote unquote, for those that can't see my air quotes on on a screen. Um, that a person needs to hit a, a form of a rock bottom uh, in, in order to, to, to change, to get sober, you know, uh, put your expression here. Um, however, there is a, a, another uh, a equally uh, large voice in the recovery community that says recovery by all means. Um, and so especially for for uh, our, our folks that have substance use disorders where there's other layers of risk um, for for anyone that's seen the the media surrounding the the opiate uh, epidemic, um, uh, the the increases of the amount of fentanyl uh, that's being found uh, in substances, as well as a variety of other newer substances that are cropping up. The longer that some of our loved ones are out there uh, and and using some of these other substances, the more at risk they are. And one of my speeches that I frequently give uh, 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 loved ones, spouses, parents, etc., is at the end of the day, you need to be able to rest your head on your pillow and say, "I I have a clear conscience." I was able to do everything that I could think of to do that I thought was appropriate to help and support my loved one. Okay. Well, those are certainly words to live by. <clears throat> Excuse me. I have found also that the premise of intervention, the idea of having a licensed interventionist go in there and say, listen, stop looking, listen to what you're doing is the fact that the family will no longer tolerate this behavior because they're worried desperately about the mental health and well-being of their loved one that is in the throes of some kind of addiction. I have also found that being in recovery myself and just celebrating 38 years clean and sober and going into the, the rooms of AA and NA Everybody says it doesn't matter how you get here. It matters that you are here mm -hmm. no matter what. So every single loved one that doesn't want to be in imposition or doesn't want to fight hard enough or doesn't want to say things that may rattle the person you're trying to help, what we are telling you is, can you put your head on the pillow and say, I've done everything I possibly can? recovery by all means, right? I have to do what I have to do to support my loved one. If exactly. that means telling them when they don't want to be compelled, then that's what that means. I also have the pleasure of working with so many people that come out of recovery treatment centers that I have worked with for 20 years. And when they come out of treatment, every single one of them says, I am so glad 
that I was made to do this, okay? If they were forced to do this under some kind of leverage, if you don't do this, I will leave you. If you don't do this, I'm taking the kids. If you don't do this, you no longer have a relationship with me. If you don't do this, I can no longer be in your life. People that come out of treatment turn around and say, thank God somebody took a, took a stand on my behalf. It may be painful at first, but like Paul said, recovery by all means. Correct, Paul? That's the way to do it. That's right. All right. So I want to talk a few minutes about what it's like for gay men fighting substance misuse and what it's like for them to think about coming into treatment and the kinds of programs that are out there. So talk to us about what that exploration and what that process is for a gay male that is thinking about recovery. There's there's a lot of nuance uh, that's that's involved there, and if if I can uh, even amplify this a, a little bit, right? Because there's there's uh, gay males. Um, however, when it comes to uh, sexual diversity, there's there's a lot more uh, than than gay males. Uh, there's trans males. Uh, there's uh, individuals uh, who uh, were uh, were were born assigned as a male, however, may identify as non-binary. So when we come to like the full spectrum of gender diversity, uh, there's actually a lot more when it comes to barriers uh, to accessing uh, recovery, uh, to accessing supports, um, even just from like seeking help whether it's from a treatment program uh, or from a, a, a therapist. So all of the other considerations that we previously talked about, right, the cultural messaging, so on and so forth, a lot of this has to do with what's okay and what's not okay. And another uh, item that, that uh, we discussed a little bit earlier, uh, that sense of community, right? We're, we're humans, we're communal creatures, we, we need it. It's, it's ingrained in our DNA. And so for males, like in, in the, the, the gender of males, we are a gender majority, right? Women are, are considered a, a minority there, even though we're, we're kind of even, but just in regards to treatment wise, men are in the majority, hands down. When it comes to those who are um, sexually diverse, there is a minority status uh, that's there and a minority status that is very highly stigmatized. So being a gay male, you know, I'm, I'm not going to, to, to give examples of, but how jokes of sexuality is used as a means to shame uh, a, a person. Um, so I am, if I am a gay male and I'm trying to, to evaluate what's going on with uh, my, my substance use, there's a whole other conversation about other factable factors that make uh, gender diverse or, or uh, sexually diverse uh, individuals more at risk for developing a substance use disorder. That's that's a whole other chat there. But if it's already been identified that that I have it and seeking help and seeking services, um, what is the I, I find myself trying to roll through uh, several different thoughts here. What is the probability 
uh, that I am not going to experience shame or rejection. Uh, if if I am a, a sexually diverse person, I'm going into a 12-step meeting. Uh, am I going to be openly embraced uh, or am I not going to be comfortable or experience some version of rejection by sharing my story? If I go into a treatment program, uh, am I going to be roomed with someone that has a degree of homophobia uh, or if this person might be trans or, or, or non-binary? Uh, if if I identify as a female, but my assigned sex is male, am I going to be rooming with another male that may have some uh, degree of uh, homophobia or transphobia? Uh, will I be allowed to have a choice of housing? Will I be required to, to have a single room? Like there's so many different considerations for accessibility. How comfortable does the person feel to share in groups when it comes to that degree of acceptance? Right. You're absolutely right. And and unfortunately, the whole idea of being, you know, understanding that it's difficult enough to come in with the shame and guilt surrounding my actual substance misuse or process addiction misuse, on top of which I'm coming in with the stigma of shame and guilt surrounding my gender identity. So that's kind of like a double whammy because for many people, I mean, they may come to treatment not being out to anybody, not letting people know who they are as a, a gay, bi, trans, non-binary individual. So, so one questions the validity of treatment to begin with because we what we learn in recovery is how to live an honest open life that's the biggest thing we learn we are no longer no longer going to live in duplicity we are not going to lie cheat steal anymore we're not going to do things behind people's back we're not going to live in darkness we're coming out into the light like you said before and here we are trying to be as honest as we possibly can to know ourselves to be who we are and to be accepted for exactly our assets and our liabilities and now here we have somebody that may be going through a gender gender identity crisis and even if they're out to themselves maybe are not out to the world so it's two big things that they are uncovering so one of the ways to help us out is to go to a program like New Jersey Recovery and Wellness, where there is a whole program and there are clinicians that are well-versed in gender identity. Correct, Paul? Things like that. That's right. We are a, a, a gender-affirming practice, um, and uh, uh, we, we actually have several members on staff uh, that are sexually diverse. Um, so that's that's a, a nice standout that I uh, appreciate um, for for the members that we bring onto the team. But you know, same for 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 people that are looking to receive treatment for substance use disorders. There are uh, uh, treatment programs that are higher levels of care, whether it's a residential or or other uh, types of treatment programs uh, that offer. Um, uh, whether it's a, a specific track of programming or the program itself is entirely. Uh, gender affirming. Uh, so it's it's a, designed as a little bit more of a safer space for folks that have that consideration while they're pursuing recovery. 
And the the people that I've had on the show have represented such diversity. All right, Karen treatment centers in Warner, Warnersville, Pennsylvania, other treatment centers around the country will have a track that will represent the LGBTQIA community, understanding that there is help for men and women of gender identity situations in recovery. Okay, so let's talk a little bit more. We have a few more minutes to talk about the advantages for men in general in gender specific treatment. Let's talk about some of the advantages and some of the things that one can address in treatment for adult males. So again, uh, lots of, of really great, important topic prompts that you're bringing up, Ellen. Thank you. <laughs> the, the, the key here is really being able to get to the heart of the matter. And so for, 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 for men, for, for anyone, right, there's, there's going to be a component in treatment where if we're in treatment, and especially within groups, right? So when we're talking about gender-specific treatments, we're talking about higher levels of care, whether it's intensive or residential, uh, uh, so on and so forth. So when you're doing treatment in groups, if you have a mixed gender group, uh, there can be a layer of... Uh, uh, the word that's coming to mind is 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 positioning. Maybe I'll find a better word as as we continue to 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 go along. Um, but I may experience distractions within that setting because needing to put on the show or peacocking is is a, a, the expression that's sometimes used for. I need to demonstrate my maleness, my masculinity, uh, et cetera. And so, if we're in treatment, it's going to be difficult to get to the heart of the matter to process emotions. So number one, to process emotions amongst other men can be difficult. However, to process emotions in front of women, if there is a thought, a desire, a level of attraction, a camaraderie uh, that I have with, uh, with, with other women who are in treatment, I may be less apt to want to reveal uh, myself, to share my deepest, darkest secrets, to process my emotions. It's difficult to do that in front of men in general. If I'm experiencing um, uh, an attraction with another woman I'm in programming with, that's probably going to shut that off because I don't want to appear weak. I want to be in control. I want to be a provider. I want to be seen as a sought-after male. The reason why that expression peacocking is used is with peacocks, the male is the one that demonstrates they show off their colorful feathers to be attractive for the females. So gender-specific treatment really tries to eliminate uh, the, the, uh, the, the nature of that compromise uh, in other treatment settings. I was always a very big fan of gender-specific treatment for men and women individually for those absolute reasons okay if i'm in a room with women if i am if i am uh talking just to women about women's issues then i am not worried about impressing a man i'm not worried about what i look like when i go into a room i'm not wor worried about what i say to look like i don't know what i'm talking about or uh you know whatever and women are always worried about impressing a man for some reason even if they're not outwardly concerned there's something in their head that doesn't doesn't make them as comfortable. And I think you're absolutely right about men. Men decide that no matter what, they want to look strong. 
I can't tell you how many men um, really do need help. And we're really, really glad that you came today to give us all the things we need to know about men's issues in recovery. Please visit me at pushybroadfromthebronx.com. I am thrilled to have Paul Avella Jr. of New Jersey Recovery and Wellness. Thank you so much for sharing these important issues with us today. We'll see you next time. Thank you so much, Ellen. This is Ellen Stewart, the Pushy Broad from the Bronx, saying thanks for listening. And remember, everybody needs a little push. From the Pushy Broad from the Bronx, New York.